Chapter 5 of History of Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in April 2020. History of Astronomy by George Forbes. Book 2 The Dynamical Period. Chapter 5 discovery of the true solar system tycho brahe kepler during the period of the intellectual and aesthetic revival at the beginning of the sixteenth century the spirit of the age was fostered by the invention of printing by the downfall of the byzantine empire and the scattering of greek fugitives carrying the treasures of literature through western europe by the works of Raphael and Michelangelo, by the Reformation, and by the extension of the known world through the voyages of Spaniards and Portuguese. During that period there came to the front the founder of accurate observational astronomy. Tycho Brahe, a Dane, born in 1546 of noble parents, was the most distinguished, diligent, and accurate observer of the heavens since the days of Hipparchus, 1,700 years before. Tycho was devoted entirely to his science from childhood, and the opposition of his parents only stimulated him in his efforts to overcome difficulties. He soon grasped the hopelessness of the old deductive methods of reasoning, and decided that no theories ought to be indulged in until preparations had been made by the accumulation of accurate observations. We may claim for him the title of founder of the inductive method. For a complete life of this great man, the reader is referred to Dreyer's Tycho Brahe, Edinburgh, 1890, containing a complete bibliography. The present notice must be limited to noting the work done and the qualities of character which enabled him to attain his scientific aims and which have been conspicuous in many of his successors. He studied in Germany, but King Frederick of Denmark, appreciating his great talents, invited him to carry out his life's work in that country. He granted to him the island of Hwein, gave him a pension, and made him a canon of the cathedral of Roskilde. On that island, Tycho Brahe built the splendid observatory which he called Uraniborg, and, later, a second one for his assistants and students, called Stjerneborg. These he fitted up with the most perfect instruments, and never lost a chance of adding to his stock of careful observations. The account of all these instruments and observations, printed at his own press on the island, was published by Tycho Brahe himself, and the admirable and numerous engravings bear witness to the excellence of design and the stability of his instruments. His mechanical skill was very great, and in his workmanship he was satisfied with nothing but the best. He recognized the importance of rigidity in the instruments, and, whereas these had generally been made of wood, he designed them in metal. His instruments included armillae like those which had been used in Alexandria, and other armillae designed by himself, sextants, mural quadrants, large celestial globes, and various instruments for special purposes. He lived before the days of telescopes and accurate clocks. 
he invented the method of subdividing the degrees of the arc of an instrument by transversals somewhat in the way that pedro nunes had proposed he originated the true system of observation and reduction of observations recognizing the fact that the best instrument in the world is not perfect and with each of his instruments he set to work to find out the errors of graduation and the errors of mounting the necessary correction being applied to each observation when he wanted to point his instrument exactly to a star he was confronted with precisely the same difficulty as is met in gunnery and rifle shooting the sights and the object aimed at cannot be in focus together and a great deal depends on the form of sight tycho brahe invented and applied to the pointers of his instruments an aperture sight of variable area like the iris diaphragm used now in photography this enabled him to get the best result with stars of different brightness the telescope not having been invented he could not use a telescopic sight as we do now in gunnery this not only removes the difficulty of focusing but makes the minimum visible angle smaller helmholtz has defined the minimum angle measurable with the naked eye as being one minute of arc in view of this it is simply marvellous that when the positions of tycho's standard stars are compared with the best modern catalogues his probable error in right ascension is only plus minus twenty four seconds point one and in declination only plus minus twenty five seconds point nine clocks of a sort had been made but tycho brahe found them so unreliable that he seldom used them and many of his position measurements were made by measuring the angular distances from known stars taking into consideration the absence of either a telescope or a clock and reading his account of the labor he bestowed upon each observation we must all agree that kepler who inherited these observations in manuscripts was justified under the conditions then existing in declaring that there was no hope of any one ever improving upon them in the year fifteen seventy two on november eleventh tycho discovered in cassiopeia a new star of great brilliance and continued to observe it until the end of january fifteen seventy three so incredible to him was such an event that he refused to believe his own eyes until he got others to confirm what he saw he made accurate observations of its distance from the nine principal stars in cassiopeia and proved that it had no measurable parallax later he employed the same method with the comets of 1577 1580 1582 1585 1590 1593 and 1596 and proved that they too had no measurable parallax and must be very distant the startling discovery that stars are not necessarily permanent that new stars may appear and possibly that old ones may disappear had upon him exactly the same effect that a similar occurrence had upon hipparchus one thousand seven hundred years before he felt it his duty to catalogue all the principal stars so that there should be no mistake in the future 
during the construction of his catalogue of one thousand stars he prepared and used accurate tables of refraction deduced from his own observations thus he eliminated so far as naked eye observations required the effect of atmospheric refraction which makes the altitude of a star seem greater than it really is Tycho Brahe was able to correct the lunar theory by his observations. Copernicus had introduced two epicycles on the lunar orbit in the hope of obtaining a better accordance between theory and observation, and he was not too ambitious, as his desire was to get the tables accurate to ten minutes. Tycho Brahe found that the tables of Copernicus were in error as much as two degrees, he rediscovered the inequality called variation by observing the moon in all phases a thing which had not been attended to it is remarkable that in the nineteenth century sir george airy established an altazimuth at greenwich observatory with this special object to get observations of the moon in all phases he also discovered other lunar equalities and wanted to add another epicycle to the moon's orbit but he feared that these would soon become unmanageable if further observations showed more new inequalities but as it turned out the most fruitful work of tycho brahe was on the motions of the planets and especially on the planet mars for it was by an examination of these results that kepler was led to the discovery of his immortal laws after the death of king frederick the observatories of tycho brahe were not supported the gigantic power and industry displayed by this determined man were accompanied as often happens by an overbearing manner intolerant of obstacles this led to friction and eventually the observatories were dismantled and tycho brahe was received by the emperor rudolf the second who placed the house in prague at his disposal here he worked for a few years with kepler as one of his assistants and he died in the year sixteen o one it is an interesting fact that tycho brahe had a firm conviction that mundane events could be predicted by astrology and that this belief was supported by his own predictions it has already been stated that tycho brahe maintained that observation must precede theory he did not accept the copernican theory that the earth moves but for a working hypothesis he used a modification of an old egyptian theory mathematically identical with that of copernicus but not involving a stellar parallax he says De mundi etc that the ptolemean system was too complicated and the new one which that great man copernicus had proposed following in the footsteps of aristarchus of samos though there was nothing in it contrary to mathematical principles was in opposition to those of physics as the heavy and sluggish earth is unfit to move and the system is even opposed to the authority of scripture the absence of annual parallax further involves an incredible distance between the outermost planet and the fixed stars we are bound to admit that in the circumstances of the case so long as there was no question of dynamical forces connecting the members of the solar system his reasoning as we should expect from such a man is practical and sound 
it is not surprising then that astronomers generally did not readily accept the views of copernicus that luther luther's tischreden pages twenty two and sixty derided him in his usual pithy manner that melancthon initia doctrine physicae said that scripture and also science are against the earth's motion and that the men of science whose opinion was asked for by the cardinals who wished to know whether galileo was right or wrong looked upon copernicus as a weaver of fanciful theory johann kepler is the name of the man whose place as is generally agreed would have been the most difficult to fill among all those who have contributed to the advance of astronomical knowledge he was born at wiel in the duchy of württemberg in fifteen seventy one he held an appointment at graz in styria and went to join tycho brahe in prague and to assist in reducing his observations these came into his possession when tycho brahe died the emperor rudolf entrusting to him the preparation of new tables called the rudolphine tables founded on the new and accurate observations he had the most profound respect for the knowledge skill determination and perseverance of the man who had reaped such a harvest of the most accurate data and though tycho hardly recognized the transcendent genius of the man who was working as his assistant and although there were disagreements between them kepler held to his post sustained by the conviction that with these observations to test any theory he would be in a position to settle forever the problem of the solar system it has seemed to many that plato's demand for uniform circular motion linear or angular was responsible for a loss to astronomy of good work during fifteen hundred years for a hundred ill-considered speculative cosmogonies for dissatisfaction amounting to disgust with these a priori guesses and for the relegation of the science to less intellectual races than greeks and other europeans nobody seemed to dare to depart from this fetish of uniform angular motion and circular orbits until the insight boldness and independence of johann kepler opened up a new world of thought and of intellectual delight while at work on the rudolphine tables he used the old epicycles and deference and eccentrics but he could not make theory agree with observation his instincts told him that these apologists for uniform motion were a fraud and he proved it to himself by trying every possible variation of the elements and finding them fail the number of hypotheses which he examined and rejected was almost incredible for example that the planets turn round centres at a little distance from the sun that the epicycles have centres at a little distance from the deferent and so on he says that after using all these devices to make theory agree with tycho's observations he still found errors amounting to eight minutes of a degree then he said boldly that it was impossible that so good an observer as tycho could have made a mistake of eight minutes and added out of these eight minutes we will construct a new theory that will explain the motions of all the planets and he did it 
with elliptic orbits having the sun in a focus of each. It is often difficult to define the boundaries between fancies, imagination, hypotheses, and sound theory. This extraordinary genius was a master in all these modes of attacking a problem. His analogy between the spaces occupied by the five regular solids and the distances of the planets from the sun, which filled him with so much delight, was a display of pure fancy. His demonstration of the three fundamental laws of planetary motion was the most strict and complete theory that had ever been attempted. It has been often suggested that the revival by Copernicus of the notion of a moving earth was a help to Kepler. No one who reads Kepler's great book could hold such an opinion for a moment. In fact, the excellence of Copernicus's book helped to prolong the life of the epicyclical theories in opposition to Kepler's teaching. All of the best theories were compared by him with observation. These were the Ptolemaic, the Copernican, and the Tychonic. The two latter placed all of the planetary orbits concentric with one another, the sun being placed a little away from their common centre, and having no apparent relation to them, and being actually outside the planes in which they move. Kepler's first great discovery was that the planes of all the orbits pass through the sun. His second was that the line of apses of each planet passes through the sun. Both were contradictory to the Copernican theory. He proceeds cautiously with his propositions until he arrives at his great laws, and he concludes his book by comparing observations of Mars, of all dates, with his theory. His first law states that the planets describe ellipses, with the sun at a focus of each ellipse. His second law, a far more difficult one to prove, states that a line drawn from a planet to the sun sweeps over equal areas in equal times. These two laws were published in his great work, Astronomia Nova, Sen Physica Coelestis Tradita Commentariis de Motibus Steloe, Martis, Prague, 1609. It took him nine years more to discover his third law, that the squares of the periodic times are proportional to the cubes of the mean distances from the sun. These three laws contain implicitly the law of universal gravitation. They are simply an alternative way of expressing that law in dealing with planets, not particles. Only, the power of the greatest human intellect is so utterly feeble that the meaning of the words in Kepler's three laws could not be understood until expounded by the logic of Newton's dynamics. The joy with which Kepler contemplated the final demonstration of these laws, the evolution of which had occupied twenty years, can hardly be imagined by us. He has given some idea of it in a passage in his work on harmonics, which is not now quoted, only lest someone might say it was egotistical, a term which is simply grotesque when applied to such a man with such a life's work accomplished. The whole book, Astronomia Nova, is a pleasure to read, the mass of observations that are used, and the ingenuity of the propositions, 
contrasts strongly with the loose and imperfectly supported explanations of all his predecessors and the indulgent reader will excuse the devotion of a few lines to an example of the ingenuity and beauty of his methods it may seem a hopeless task to find out the true paths of mars and the earth at that time when their shape even was not known from the observations giving only the relative direction from night to night now kepler had twenty years of observations of mars to deal with this enabled him to use a new method to find the earth's orbit observe the date at any time when mars is in opposition the earth's position e at that date gives the longitude of mars m his period is six hundred eighty seven days now choose date before and after the principal date at intervals of six hundred eighty seven days and its multiples mars is in each case in the same position now for any date when mars is at m and the earth at e three the date of the year gives the angle e three s m and the observation of tycho gives the direction of mars compared with the sun s e three m so all the angles of the triangle s e m in any of these positions of e are known and also the ratios of se1 se2 se3 se4 to sm and to each other for the orbit of mars observations were chosen at intervals of a year when the earth was always in the same place but kepler saw much farther than the geometrical facts he realized that the orbits are followed owing to a force directed to the sun and he guessed that this is the same force as the gravity that makes a stone fall he saw the difficulty of gravitation acting through the void space he compared universal gravitation to magnetism and speaks of the work of gilbert of colchester gilbert's book the mundo nostro sublunari philosophia nova amstelodami sixteen fifty one containing similar views was published forty-eight years after Gilbert's death, and forty-two years after Kepler's book and reference. His book, De Magnete, was published in 1600. A few of Kepler's views on gravitation, extracted from the introduction to his Astronomia Nova, may now be mentioned. 1. Every body at rest remains at rest if outside the attractive power of other bodies. 2. Gravity is a property of masses, mutually attracting, in such manner that the earth attracts a stone much more than a stone attracts the earth. 3. Bodies are attracted to the earth's centre, not because it is the centre of the universe, but because it is the centre of the attracting particles of the earth. 4. If the earth be not round, but spheroidal, then bodies at different latitudes will not be attracted to its centre, but to different points in the neighbourhood of that centre. 5. If the earth and moon were not retained in their orbits by vital force, aut alia aligua equipolenti, the earth and moon would come together. 6. 
if the earth were to cease to attract its waters the oceans would all rise and flow to the moon seven he attributes the tides to lunar attraction kepler had been appointed imperial astronomer with a handsome salary on paper a fraction of which was doled out to him very irregularly he was led to miserable makeshifts to earn enough to keep his family from starvation and proceeded to ratisbon in sixteen thirty to represent his claims to the diet he arrived worn out and debilitated he failed in his appeal and died from fever contracted under and fed upon disappointment and exhaustion those were not the days when men could adopt as a profession the research of endowment before taking leave of kepler who was by no means a man of one idea it ought to be here recorded that he was the first to suggest that a telescope made with both lenses convex not a galilean telescope can have cross wires in the focus for use as a pointer to fix accurately the positions of stars an englishman gascoigne was the first to use this in practice from the all too brief epitome here given of kepler's greatest book it must be obvious that he had at that time some inkling of the meaning of his laws universal gravitation from that moment the idea of universal gravitation was in the air and hints and guesses were thrown out by many and in time the law of gravitation would doubtless have been discovered though probably not by the work of one man even if newton had not lived but if kepler had not lived who else could have discovered his laws end of chapter five